We've seen marriages, maybe you haven't seen them, but I have. I've seen marriages that almost were disintegrating come back together again because people opened their hands to the power and the will of God and not focused on themselves but focused on others. I've seen relationships get better. I've seen people physically healed of different ailments. We've seen John Landis almost die and come back to life. Am I right? Like, I'm serious. Like, just be honest about this, right? We'll be honest. I want to talk about this. Okay? We have seen things. Have we not? We have seen things. But I can tell you, my Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the great things God has in store for those who love him. I want you to know this this morning. This is so important. You might be like, oh, I don't get it. Like, where are we going with this? Just, just follow with me. It's going to make sense, I promise, because God's in control. It's not me. Um, here's what we need to remember. Let's celebrate the past. But when we look ahead at the word, when we look ahead at what God wants to do and his spirit, and the way that we get to look ahead is by looking back at his word. This morning on Pentecost Sunday, this morning as we stand here, as we sit here, as we remember what God did through the birth of the New Testament church, when his spirit came in Acts 2, it was not just a promise from hundreds of years before, which it was, it was a promise. Jesus said, go in Jerusalem and wait to close with power on a high. In Luke 24, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait until the comforter comes, until the promised father, and the one that the father promised comes. In Joel chapter 2, Joel writes that in that day when the spirit comes, there will be visions and there will be dreams and people will be filled with the spirit. In Jeremiah 31, you see a great scripture in Jeremiah 31. Great scripture in 31. If, if you guys can go to our, to our deck, you're going to have to jump through a couple scriptures to get to Jeremiah 31. I think it's the third slide or fourth slide. It's a fourth slide. You're going to get there in Jeremiah 31. Look what he says when God makes this declaration to Jeremiah. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people. The days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Let me tell you who he's talking to. He's talking to Israel that was a nation but disobeyed God, and they walked away. You know what they did? They did their will over God's will. And God said, the consequence to living for yourself instead of living for me is you will be sent away into exile, and the nation will be split up and taken over by your enemies. But he gives them a hope, and he says, 70 years you will be in exile. But when you come back, there is a promise that you need to remember because you're still my people. I still love you and I still want you to grow in relationship with me. I want you to know something. And he says something. 70 years later, he goes, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Okay, and this is what he means by a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. You know what covenant he's talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament Ten Commandment covenant, where God took his laws. This is how you grow in relationship with me. Remember, it's about relationship. And what he says here is he says, the way this is going to happen is that you are going to no longer have the old covenant where laws have to be followed that are written on stone. A new covenant is not going to follow that process. That's the old covenant. Look what he says in verse 33. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. He says, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. 
I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah is talking about a future time that the new covenant will come and God's law, which was written on tablets, is going to be written on the hearts of people. Now let me ask you, what does it mean to have something written on your heart? It means you are no longer motivated by external circumstances. It means your motivation is no longer external. Your motivation is internal. Does that make sense? When things are written on your heart, your motivation is not external. You know what external laws are like? External laws are like traffic laws and tax laws. Traffic laws and tax laws say I obey them because the law around me says I must or I will be fined or go to jail. So I follow them because someone tells me I need to do it. But nobody needs to tell me that I need to have a law or a rule in my heart to love my kids. It is written on my heart to love my kids, even when they can sometimes be unlovable in some people's eyes, as I can be sometimes in other people's eyes. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like when you love them, but you don't like them. Like I remember growing up and there were times, many times that my family and my parents would love me, but they didn't necessarily like me in those moments because I was growing up and trying to figure out my life. But when it's written on your heart, nobody has to force you to love them. No one has to force me to love my wife, even though I don't do it well sometimes or many times, but I always have the desire to say, I want to love my wife because it's written on my heart, not because someone told me that I need to do it and I'm following an obligation. You hear what I'm saying? When it's written on your heart, you love because it's inside, not because it's external. And what God is saying through Jeremiah here is that there's coming a day, Israel, which by the way, in Christ, Paul says in Romans, we are part of the seed of Abraham. We are the whole Israel today. It's not for people that were written thousands of years, that lived thousands of years ago. People listen to these things and are like, that was written for Israel. It doesn't apply to us. Paul says, when we follow Christ, we become part of the seed of Abraham. And Abraham is the father of all of Israel. So he's speaking to all of us. And what he says here very clearly is the law of God, which was written on tablets, the presence of God that used to inhabit a building that was destroyed during the exile. During the exile, when when Babylon came and destroyed Israel and the temple was destroyed that God used to live in in his presence, when they rebuilt the temple and they came back, the temple Jesus saw, the temple Jesus wept over, the presence of God never returned to the temple when it was rebuilt. Because God's plan was not to live in a building of brick and mortar. His plan was to establish a new covenant. A new covenant that would take his presence and not write it on stone. His law would no longer be on tablets or things that would cause external motivation. His law, his law was written on our hearts. Verse 34, he says, No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is a prophetic message that came to pass in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost Sunday. You know what's so incredible about Pentecost Sunday? Pentecost is not just celebrated by Christians. Pentecost was celebrated by the, by the Jewish 
um, by the Jewish people in Israel for, for all the way back to Passover. It's connected to Passover. It just means 50th. It's the 50th day after Passover, and they would celebrate it in a feast where they would come from all different areas of the world, and they'd gather to Jerusalem to celebrate and be thankful for what God has done. And they did that. But during Pentecost, which I think is so incredible, during Pentecost, Jewish tradition shows them. How incredible is this? I, just, I saw this this week, and I went, wow. Jewish tradition speaks this truth. They believe that God gave Israel the Ten Commandments 50 days after Passover. The law of God written on tablets 50 days after Passover. In the New Testament church, 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit comes and he no longer is written on a tablet. He's written on our hearts 50 days after Passover. How incredible the message that God is speaking to you and I this morning, God, guys, is that God is not far from you. He doesn't want to be distant from you. He's a God who pursues. He's a God who loves. He's a God who shows you two things. We're not going to show you the slides for him this morning, but just hear me on these two things, okay? Number one, you have value. You have value because that verse says so. From the least to the greatest will know me, he says. Think about that just for a moment. The least to the greatest will know God personally. We don't live in a world where everyone gets the same access, do we? I mean, I was just a great adventure on Friday. And, and I was upset at some of the rides that people took my seat because they had bigger passes than I did. They paid more money to cut the line so that they could get in in front of me. I'm like, who do you think you are? I mean, that annoys me sometimes when you wait in line for 20 or 30 minutes and someone, and the, the, the operator just looks at you and says, you're going to have to wait. These people come over and show their flash pass or whatever, sit in my chair, and I'm like, I don't like you. You took my space. Why? What is it? It's like, I'm better than you. I'm better than you because I paid somebody to take your spot, right? I mean, it's a silly analogy, but we don't like it when people demonstrate in their own mind that they think they're better than us, do we? That other people get access to things that we don't. How many times do you hear, it's not what you know in this world, it's what? who you know because access is available and preferential treatment is given to different people at different times. That is not a gospel message. The gospel message says, and it's so powerful for everyone who's listening to this today, everyone in the world, everyone, God allows you to know him from the least to the greatest, from the poorest to the most wealthy regardless of your color, regardless of your creed, regardless of your history. I don't care if you grew up in a church and went to church and had perfect attendance for 18 years and got every little pin that was possible and flags that are hanging all over your house and you don't know what to do with. I don't care if that's where you came from or this is the first time you're hearing this message and your life is a mess. God loves all, extends love to all does not see me any greater than he sees you, does not see you any greater than he sees me. When we put our faith in Christ, man, when we put our faith in Christ, he says, you're going to know me from the least to the greatest. I mean, I think about like the apostle Peter. Peter was, was foolish, man. I mean, he was, he was zealous, but he was thick-headed, and it took him a while to get the message. 
And I love that because, you know, we live there sometimes, don't we? Don't we live there sometimes where we got to hear the same message over and over and over again? And one day the light bulb goes off and we're like, how did I not know this? This especially happens when you have children and they find out a truth from someone else that you've been telling them for 10 years, right? And they come back to you and say, I had this epiphany. Look what someone told me. And we're like, I've been saying that for 10 years. See, some of you know what I'm talking about. Peter was hard-headed. He didn't get it. In the book of Acts, think about it. Jews didn't hang out with non-Jewish people. Jewish people would not hang out with non-Jewish people. Why? Because Jews were called of God. They were God's chosen people. Chosen, by the way, doesn't mean they were better than anybody else. Chosen means that God decided to use them as his mouthpiece to communicate his love to the world. That's what it means. He didn't elevate them above others. He said, you're my chosen people, and it's their role to communicate. But Peter had this thought in his mind. Jews are good and clean. Non-Jews are not clean. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And we're not jumping to these passages. I'm just telling the story, guys. Because we need to hear the story. We need to be reminded what the whole story is about. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And they're all from all these different places. They're speaking in different tongues and different languages. All these people are from different areas of the world worshiping God in Jerusalem. And they hear the declaring the praises of God on their own tongue. And they're like, what is going on? All these people are local yokels. They don't understand our language. How is it that they can hear, my, hear and declare the praises of God in my tongue when I don't even live in Jerusalem? And Peter gets up and says, this is what Joel meant in the last days. There's going to be prophetic utterances. And your old men and your young men are going to declare, they're going to have dreams and visions. And, and what he was saying is, the presence of God now lives in the hearts of all who believe. And if you're, if you're Peter... You're thinking the Jews finally get to see the fulfillment of the promise. But then, then, Peter, then, then John, John goes ahead, and, and I'm sorry, Simon goes up to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and Samaria has a bunch of people that are half Jews and half everything else. They're like the mutts of Israel. And they're not clean people. They're like the mutts, seriously. You know the, you know the story of at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well? partially Jewish, partially not. They were shocked Jesus would talk to her. Why? Because she was unclean. Taboo. I'm not supposed to talk to these people. But Philip goes up to Samaria and speaks the message of Christ and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And what happens during that time? They receive the powerful message. Peter and John, they don't believe it. How could this possibly be? Why? Because they're not pure Jews. They go to Acts chapter 8. Peter and John go up there. They pray over them. They receive the gift of tongues and they speak utterances and other languages and they see for themselves that the same Holy Spirit that came to them was given to the Spirit to the same people in Samaria. And all of a sudden their minds are open to say, wait, the Spirit of God is not just available for us pure Jews down south in Judea. The Spirit of God is available to all Jews in Israel. Even half Jews. Even mutt Jews. Like everyone is available to have this and their minds are blown when they see that. Fast forward to Acts chapter 10 and Peter has a dream. And in this dream, remember as a kid seeing this, I'm like, what does this mean? And there are all these animals in this dream and the sheet comes down from heaven and there are all kinds of animals in there. And the scriptures say in Acts chapter 10, they're all like animals of like hoven, uh, uh, they have like cloth uh, hoofs. And, and, and basically what he's saying is these are a lot of animals that were taboo in Leviticus. They weren't allowed to eat certain types of food and certain types of animals. And the message from heaven before Peter in this dream is to kill and eat. 
God is speaking to Peter in this dream, looking at all these unclean animals saying, kill and eat. And Peter says, nothing that is unclean will ever touch these lips, Lord. What is he saying? I will not violate your law in Leviticus to eat things that you told me are unclean. And then God speaks back to him in the dream and he says, Peter, don't you dare call anything unclean that I have made clean. And at that time, he gets a knock at the door. And he gets a knock at the door from this guy and he says, hey, my boss is, is, is a Roman He's not Jewish, but he had this dream and he's a, he's a God-fearer and he's looking and he's seeking God and he's desiring God and, and God told him through an angel to come talk to you so that you could come to his house. You understand what's going on here? A Jewish person is being called to go to a non-Jewish person's house. Time out. Unclean. But it's a vision that God gave him. Peter goes. And he has a conversation with this man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And Cornelius shares that he's a God-fearer and he has this dream. Peter declares the truth of God. He speaks to the people, talks to them about Jesus, talks to them about believing unto salvation and being filled with the Holy Spirit is the evidence. And in Acts chapter 10, it says, all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues. A A confirmation It's a confirmation that this scripture is still true. How do I know? Because if we fast forward a little bit to Acts chapter 10, 34, I have this verse for you. Look what Peter says when he walks into Cornelius' house. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You see where we're going? See how this works? It's so powerful in that scripture for us to remember when he says, they will know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. It doesn't matter this morning, guys, what you did this morning. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter how many times you think you've failed God, how many times you've disappointed God. Listen, if you think you've disappointed God a lot, try being a pastor and, 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 cap, and, and add up all those things in the ways that you fail God. I mean, I remember a couple years ago getting up here saying, sometimes I really struggle with understanding the love of God. And someone coming up to me saying, I had a hard time believing that a pastor would ever say that. And I was like, well, believe it or not, I'm actually a human. Because there are times in our lives that we can struggle with these truths, don't we? Don't we struggle with these sometimes? Do we not go through hard times in our lives? Do we not go through unknowns in our lives? Do we not? But can I tell you, the presence of God is there not to just give us a cognizant experience, something in our head that we can quote like a Pharisee. No, the presence of God is in my life, in your life, to transform how we think. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world anymore. The world's going to teach you how to live. It's going to take your brain and put you in one direction. It's going to show you to be selfish. It's going to show you to harbor unforgiveness. It's going to show you to follow idols and fill your heart with everything that you possibly can in the world. I mean, there are people lining up at amusement parks 45 minutes before they open to get on a ride that takes 50 seconds, and we show up 25 minutes late to church. You know, I mean, like I think about this in my life or I look at the number of people that, that memorize scripture in areas of the country or the world of the world that don't have Bibles and the average U.S. person has two to three Bibles in their home. How many times are we committing ourselves to this truth? Because his purpose 
is to relate. His purpose is to know you. His purpose is to show you and I that we have value. So if you're, if you're listening this morning on this Pentecost Sunday, I want you to know you are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. It's what I love about what we're doing this morning and this world market thing we're doing. You know, there's tables out there that y'all are gonna enjoy some different food samples with after we dismiss here in a little bit and you're gonna be able to try different, different foods. You know, there, there's, there's almost 18 different cultures and countries that are represented across our tables out there today that connect with Bridge. Isn't that awesome? Is it? Is it? You know, I've heard people say, and this is, this is a criticism on our area. You know, the area that you pastor in is not an expressive church, Pastor Paul. So, you know, you just got to get used to people just kind of watching you and not really participating. I've heard people say that all the time. And I look at that and go, nah, I don't believe that because I have a television and I look at sporting events. I've been to amusement parks and I see how people act. I go to graduation ceremonies and I see how people respond. Fill in the blank. If God is not in the equation, it seems like our responsiveness changes drastically. Am I wrong? I mean, come on. Do you guys notice this? Anybody see this? It's like taboo in a church to be excited about something. If you're excited about it, I don't care if the person next to you isn't excited about it. It's okay. Don't you not be excited because they aren't. You know what I'm saying? You know? I mean, you're going to stand on the chair and do something crazy. Then maybe you want to rethink that because you might fall over. But I'm just saying, if you're excited about it, well, no one else is clapping. I don't know if I should clap. Can I tell you? It's what we tell the people on a worship team, right, Pastor Matt? We say, if our worship team is not worshiping, okay? If our worship team is not worshiping while we're playing and while they're playing, you know what they say to every person in this room? This is what you're supposed to do. But if they do worship, you know what they're saying? They're saying this is permissive. They're not saying you all must do it. They're saying it's just permissive. Because we want to just let God be God in this place. So if you're here, don't let the negative Nancys around you. And I'm not saying, well, you're saying I don't worship, I'm negative. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're just conservative. But you know what? I've seen some conservative people, dude. Like he's not here this morning, but a couple months ago, we had a guy get baptized and he's a pretty conservative dude. And he was like, yeah, you know, and I was like, if some of you were here, maybe you heard, you saw that. You know, yes, last Sunday I came back, got a giant beer hug from him. And I was like, where'd that come from? And it's like, because God did something in that moment. And he got a kiss from heaven. And God said, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You are valuable to God this morning, my friends. And it's awesome that there are different cultures that we can celebrate and we can honor. The other thing I want you to know is that you're not just valuable to God, that you are loved by God. You are loved by God. That passage in Jeremiah, the second half of that did say, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Look at that. We've got that. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Second Corinthians 1.21 says this, now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Can we get to that verse, please? Second Corinthians chapter one, just, it doesn't matter if it's messy. Now it is God who makes both of us stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. 
He set his seal of ownership on us and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is yet to come. Remember that this morning, that you are not just valuable to God, you are loved by God. He set his seal of ownership on you. He promotes a message of love that no one else can promote like God. Some of us have heard people ask questions this year, you know, about the Mission Lansdale thing that we're doing. And I've heard people say, wow, we're doing four weeks in Mission Lansdale? Like, wasn't one week enough? And, and no one says it in those ways, but they're like, that's a whole lot of time. And listen, I mean, a Sunday night training, a Monday all day to go love people in our community, and then three or four hours on Tuesday to have a workshop or clinic for kids in our community to teach them practical things, that can make a life-changing impact on people in our neighborhoods. That can transform a student by showing them the love of God in a practical way. Or on Monday, when we go out into the community and we love people by either handing out water bottles or doing free car washes or loving on people. Can I tell you, I made a list of a couple of notes that I took last year when we did Mission Lansdale. And let me ask you this question. Did God not speak through us into these people's lives? I met a woman whose name was Shelly. She had an alcoholic boyfriend and she stood there and let me pray for her and her parents as they were struggling in life. And her boyfriend was so angry at one point, he took her phone and slammed it into the windshield and cracked the whole front of her windshield. She sat there in tears as we prayed for her. We didn't lay hands on her. We didn't do anything weird or strange. We just said, Holy Spirit, let your love come through us so that we can speak to others. And she was allowing us to do that and it definitely touched her. I met a young man named G who was new to the area. He was recently out of jail from a drug offense that he committed years ago. He had a new baby. He was turning his life around and he was saying, can you, and you just pray that God would give me strength. I'm a believer. He got saved in prison and he was saying, help me get my life around in order. I just want to have prayer. We met these people by washing their cars. I think of a young lady named Natalie who came to our car wash last year. Her husband was in the military and she was lonely and she was worried about her husband as they didn't speak for quite some time at that point. She let us pray for her. And I remember, Dalen, you and I were sitting there washing her car. She let us pray for her. So much so, she was so moved at the end of it that she had to hug us. And Dalen got a hug, which is not uncommon. And I got a hug as well. And it was really fun. And she gave us, she's like, I have to hug you. And she got out of her car and she gave us a giant hug because we prayed and we showed her in a practical way that God's presence was there. Or a man I met named Tim who simply got out of the car quietly, didn't have anything to say, talked to him for a few moments, asked him if there's anything we could pray for. And his son was leaving for college for his first year. He let me pray for him. He offered us money. We wouldn't take a dime. And he broke down in tears as he was getting back in his car to drive away. Now, let me tell you something. These types of missions, trips, and events can feel overwhelming to people. Oh, I don't have the ability to do that. Do you have the ability to wash a car? Do they have the ability to give out water? Can I tell you, do you have the ability to be bold and courageous for the Lord? You do. Can I tell you why? Because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. 
And if the same spirit lives in me that raised Jesus from the dead, he can equip you. He can embolden you. He can give you courage to make a difference in the lives of people around us. Sometimes the lifelessness that we struggle with isn't because we're not willing to let God speak. Sometimes the willingness or the reason why we feel lifelessness is because we're not willing to live what God asks us to live. Sometimes we do a lot of eating and 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 we start feeling bigger and bigger and bigger and we're like, well, I don't feel so good anymore because God says, I've called you to go exercise your faith. And that's why we're doing Mission Lansdale for four weeks this year because the Boys and Girls Club opened a door. And can I challenge you? It would be my heart's desire. It would be my heart's desire and we see it every year that we do this. People in our church who come in with shaky ground, nervous people. What are you going to make me do? And Jesus meets them right where they are. And he says, if you want to stretch your faith a little bit, get ready to have your faith stretched. You don't have to feel scared. And they come back from these things saying, I can't believe that God used me in a practical way. And their hearts are full because of that. If you're here, In one of those weeks or two of those weeks, three or four of those weeks, I don't care. You're welcome to be a part of that. You're here to make a difference in the lives of the people. I've heard some people say, well, I don't know anything about culinary. I don't know anything about workshops. That's four hours of Tuesday. And listen, if you know how to help somebody, you qualify. We'll have leaders that will teach you how to do some of the other stuff. But let's not underestimate the fact that if God is calling us to be a light, which is why Pentecost really matters, The message to the world is that the presence of God is available to live in the hearts of all who believe in Jesus. And I don't mean believe he existed. I mean believe in him as a savior. It all comes down to the presence of God. just take a few moments this morning. We're, we're going to make a transition here in a few moments, and we're going to take communion. And, and I want to take a few moments before we take communion. I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward here. You guys can come and just maybe stand and be prepared. So if our ushers could come forward to receive our communion, we're not going to distribute it just yet. But, but here's another thing that I want to do. When we take communion in this church, We always try to be intentional, but can I tell you the the greatest offense that we could ever give, and scripture says when we do this, we actually drink judgment upon ourselves, and it's dangerous, is that we take a cup and the bread, and we eat the bread, and we drink the cup, all the while we know that there's unaddressed sin in our lives, all the while that we know that there's a pride in our heart, that we're not confessing to other people that need to be confessed, that we're not submitting ourselves to God, that there's specific things that the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to make these things right. And we eat the bread and we drink the cup and the scripture says we proclaim judgment on ourselves. It's almost like it doesn't matter. We can drink the cup and the bread and go about our own ways. No, when we actually come to eat the bread and drink the cup, we're supposed to be in a place of relationship with Jesus. And can I tell you, if we're gonna be in relationship with Jesus, it means you're gonna be humble. It means I'm gonna be humble. Being humble hurts. Doesn't it hurt sometimes? Especially when someone else hurts you, but you hurt them too. And God doesn't hold you accountable for what they did to you. He only holds you accountable for what you did to them. 
And we can go to God this morning in confidence and we can say, God, take my pride and lay it before you. I need to confess that to you today. God, take my doubt. I wonder how many of us, if we were gonna be honest this morning, would doubt and say, you know what? The word says God loves me, but my life says right now that he's not paying attention. Can I tell you this morning? Oh, I say this carefully, but this is me too in different times. That is a lie. And you are being deceived if you feel that God is not with you. If you feel that God is not loving you because of your circumstances, you're listening to a lie. And even if you can't turn the corner and say, I'm going to believe today, bow your head and open your hands figuratively and say, God, help me believe even though I don't believe. And God sees where you are and he grabs you and draws you to himself. See how it works? It's not condemnation. It's just truth. Scripture says we're to examine ourselves before we take communion. And that's what we're going to do. So as the ushers are passing out the cup and the bread, if you're a believer this morning and you've put your faith in Christ, you are welcome to take the bread and the cup. But I just want to caution you. Examine your hearts before you do it. Because if your heart is not right, you're drinking and eating judgment upon yourself. So let's just pass the bread and let's pass the cup for a few moments. Let's prepare our hearts as they're distributed. God, would you just give us, we invite you into this place on this Pentecost Sunday, Lord. God, I invite you into our hearts this morning. I invite you into our homes, Lord. I invite you, Lord, into our minds. I invite you, God, into my hands and my feet. I invite you, God, into my tongue, my words, God, that would honor you with who you say we are. God, that we would not be okay to just let the same old, same old happen, but we would be willing to lay the things down that don't look like you, even though we're scared, even though we're burnt. I think that there are people here that might be burnt out. There may be people here that are just flat out burned out. Maybe you're burned out with the things of God, if you can do that. Can I tell you, if you're burned out by God, it's probably more about what you're trying to give him and less about what God wants to do in you. Corinthians chapter 11 Jesus says this he says for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this Take this, eat this in remembrance of me. God, as we sit here this morning and we remember your broken body on this Pentecost Sunday, may we remember your will 
to be in relationship with each one of us, that the power of Pentecost is that we can be in relationship with you. So God, would you speak to us? Would you fill us, Lord? Would you trust, Lord? Would you just open our hearts to you this morning as we take this bread and we be reminded today that your body was broken so that you and I, this church, the world, everyone around us, Lord, in faith in Christ can be in relationship with you. Let's take the bread this morning and thank God as we take it, thanking him for relationship with us now and for eternity. We take the bread, Lord, and we thank you. scripture says this is the cup in my new covenant it's the covenant in my blood it's a new contract in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me God we take the cup this morning as a church thanking you for your presence thanking you for your power thanking you, Lord, for your promise. God, I just pray as we drink this cup this morning, we would be reminded that forgiveness is available to all who believe. Forgiveness is available for all who desire to follow you. God, that you call us to empty ourselves so that we can be filled with you. May we drink this cup this morning and be thankful for the forgiveness that comes by knowing you. Let's drink the cup and be thankful. this Pentecost Sunday, church, we, we open the word. It's a little bit different than we did today. And, and listen, I, I, hope, I hope as we spend a few moments just kind of responding this morning uh, to what we did today, I hope what I said was clear and it made sense. But if you walk away with nothing else, just be reminded of this. God is in love with mankind. God extends a gift to each one of you. Why? Because his love for you is bigger greater, more awesome than anything that you could ever hope for or imagine. It is incredibly powerful and he desires to be in relationship with you. Amen? Do you know that this morning? Can we demonstrate our thanks to God for that today? Would you stand with me, please? Let's just stand this morning. We're going to just sing this chorus and we're going to sing this song, but I want you to just, just let your heart connect with God as we make this declaration today. Let's just celebrate by singing this chorus out. He's the reckless. God, we love you.